The scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it on the lake. While all the people were along the shore at the water's edge, he taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying thirty some sixty, and some a hundred times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed, and sowed, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundred times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Father, we do give you thanks for your word and ask that you would use it for the purpose of increasing our faith and shaping our understanding of you. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, this is a story about a seed and soil and a gardener. And kind of the way I want to begin this conversation is to first ask the question about what do you think is really powerful? Like if you were to list some things that are really powerful, what would you come up with? Um, I was thinking about this that this week, and I've been working out with my son Walker, and I was like, huh, I wonder what the world record is on bench pressing. Do you know what it is? 885 pounds. That's a lot of weight, all right? 885 pounds, this man benched this, you know, like several brads on, the, on his little bench bar or whatever. Um, a bear can lift 1,100 pounds. That's pretty impressive. An elephant can carry almost 20,000 pounds. That's impressive. But the most powerful animal or insect, you probably know this because Discovery Channel is a thing, um, but the most powerful insect or animal in all of creation, in, based on its size and proportion to the amount of weight it moves, is the dung beetle. The dung beetle can move 1,100 times its weight. That would be like one of us moving 160,000 pounds. Like it's a lot of weight. And as I thought about this, um, what was interesting to me was this idea that even in creation, God has embedded this understanding this idea that things may not always be as you think they are. That to make assumptions about who God is or about how creation works or what the most powerful thing is, as you look more closely, as you listen, as you sort of observe, what you might discover, that, what you might discover is that something is true that you didn't expect. 
And Jesus tells this story, and what he's talking about in it is that there is something that is so powerful, it can shape your life. It can guide your heart. It can direct your steps. It can be sufficient for you no matter what it is you're facing. And the image that Jesus wants you to have in your head as you think about that thing that is so powerful is a seed. A seed is pretty and impressive when you think about it. God is asking us to actually stop and hear His word, to consider His thoughts. That is a lofty thing to do. Psalm 139, David writes this in verses 15 and following. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained before me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. What you will notice as you listen to Jesus' parables, as we're going to do, as we're going to assess and kind of think about this together, as you read God's word, what you discover is, is that God's thoughts are higher than your thoughts, that his ways are vast, that he understands things that we can barely wrap our heads around at any level. Like he knew our days before we lived them. He understood us before we existed. He spoke and creation came into being. God is big. And Jesus becomes tangible and accessible and tells us this story that is meant to help us think about what it really means to access the power of his message of grace. Jesus says in verse 9, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. It's an invitation to the people who are listening to Jesus at this moment, 2,000 years ago. It's an invitation to you and to me this morning to read the scriptures and Jesus from on high to say to us, if you have ears to listen, I want you to hear this. I have something to say to you this morning. Will you hear what I am saying? Will you really take it in? Will you understand the power that I've wrapped up in this seed called the gospel of grace? So let's think about this story together. Jesus is still in Galilee. He's teaching around the lake. He's been doing his Galilean tour. Uh, you know, there's probably no t-shirts or anything available yet, but he's pretty new you know, character on the scene. And people are hearing about him, and they are coming to hear, and they're coming in droves. There's crowds who are gathering. And so they gather, and Jesus tells this story. There's a farmer, and he wants to sow seeds. And so he spreads the seeds about. You know, farmers did this. They would just throw the seeds out. And those seeds would fall on different types of soil. One type of soil is the hard soil, like a path. Have you ever seen Texas dirt when it's dry? You know, cracks in the ground? You know, the farmer throws seeds, and some of those seeds land on that ground, and there's almost no hope of that seed growing uh, and doing anything. In fact, as Jesus points out here, even birds can come and eat it, take it away. So there's a seed along the path. Then there's seed that falls in the rocky places, and the seed starts to grow. It begins to develop, but it can't set down roots. And the moment that the sun begins to scorch it, and it kind of uses up some of those nutrients, it also withers. And then there's this third type of soil that falls among the thorns. It begins to grow, but as it grows, the thorns grow more quickly and they soak up the nutrients and they choke out whatever growth that seed brought. And then there's this fourth kind of soil, and it's fertile soil. It's the kind of soil that the, the farmer drops his seed into and the earth takes it in and at first does nothing but becomes such a powerful plant that it produces 30, 60, even 100 times what it originally was. It does far more than we would ever think it's capable of doing. Then Jesus says, 
Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now, this story on the surface is very easy to understand, right? But there's a deeper meaning. The disciples are, you know, pull Jesus away later. The crowds have gone away. But those who follow Jesus and the disciples come to Jesus and they say, tell us more about this. Can you explain what this story is about? Like, I'm pretty nervous. Like, am I a seed? And I'm really nervous about which soil I get tossed into. Is that the point of the story? Or am I a kind of soil where the seed grows and I think I'm doing okay, but actually I've got all these thorns around me and I don't even know it, but before I can do anything about it, all of a sudden I get choked out. Like, maybe I believe in you. I think I believe in you, but how do I know? Like, how do I know I'm the fourth soil? What do I do with that? And who's this gardener? Who's this farmer anyway who's casting this seed? Jesus answers in verse 11, begins to lead them down this path of understanding the greater meaning of this very simple parable. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Now, understand this. Um, Jesus is, is, the parables are difficult to understand on this, in the deeper way, but they're easy to understand on the surface. It's kind of like a code you have to have. You know, kids, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I experienced this. Um, when I was growing up, my friends would, like, come up with a code word. And if you knew the code word you were in, you'd come inside the room, or you could, you know, read the book, you could go to the clubhouse. And if you didn't know the code word, you were out. And I've been on both sides of those, those uh, discussions where I didn't know the code word and was left out. And I knew the code word and I left someone out. Um, but that feels, you know, really tough and difficult. You know, Jesus is saying there is a secret actually to understanding this deeper word, and I don't want you to miss it. I want you to understand very clearly what's going on. But before he goes into it, he, he talks about this very strange thing where he says, you know, though they can see, but they can't perceive. Though they can listen, they're not really hearing, because if they did, they would be forgiven. And we kind of go, well, what does that mean? It's utterly confusing. You've got to understand Jesus um, is referencing the Bible. He's referencing the Older Testament. The Bible for New Testament Christians was the Older Testament. And so Jesus is quoting the scriptures to those who are asking what the parable means. He's saying, look, if you want to understand what I'm about, you've got to look at the story of the Older Testament. It's been speaking of who I am for ages. Let me tell you where. In Isaiah 6, chapter 9, the Lord is addressing people who have a hard heart, like hard ground. And the seeds of God's word is going out to them, and they're rejecting it. They have no interest in it, and they won't receive it. And their persistent rebellion is almost making a mockery of who God is. They will not have it. And so Jesus is with his disciples. The crowds has left. He's with a smaller few, and he begins to give them the code word. He begins to give them access into understanding what he's saying. He's saying, I don't want you to be hearing and not really understanding. I don't want you to be listening and not really taking in what I'm saying. I don't want you to think there's a code word you don't have access to. I'm going to explain it to you. Now, Jesus is not purposefully leaving people out. He's saying, if you really want to have a soil that thrives, if you really want to know who I am, then you need to follow me. You need to approach this on my terms. One commentator said this, the forceful language Jesus uses here does not mean that God himself will block the people's ears or their eyes. Rather, the prophet's message will cause the people to blind and deafen themselves to avoid hearing it in order to persist in their rebellion. Jesus likewise is addressing a wayward generation, many of whom will harden themselves to avoid grasping the implications of his words. His parables, by their hidden depths veiled in simplicity, 
will cause a separation by the response they evoke in the listener's hearts. For those who ponder the parables with sincere openness, the mystery of the kingdom will be gradually revealed. But for those who prefer to persist in their own rebellious ways, the parables, the parables will remain opaque so that they may look and see but not perceive and hear and listen but not understand. Now, people do this today all around in our culture right now. We call it cultural Christianity. You ever heard that phrase, cultural Christianity? You know, last week I quoted this um, study from the Barna Group that said that most people in America believe Jesus is a real, was a real person. Most people believe that. But it's not enough to just believe that Jesus was real. That's not enough. Now, you think about who Jesus is, and he's calling us into a completely different way of being. Marva Dawn said this, Such taking God seriously is, however, decidedly countercultural. We live in an age and a culture that want instead to turn the worship of God into a matter of personal taste and convenience and comfort. Like, we understand that. We understand this idea of cultural Christianity. But Jesus is calling us to something greater. Remember the passage from last week. The teachers of the law came to confront Jesus. They knew exactly who he was. And they wanted to reject him. They wanted to punish him. When Jesus faces the demons, we've been studying the Gospel of Mark. We've gone from chapter 1 all the way. Now we're in chapter 4. Anytime demons face Jesus, none of them say, wait a minute, who are you? They know exactly who he is. And they obey his every word. It's not enough just to know who Jesus is. That's not enough. If you really want to understand who Jesus is, if you want to do more than just hear but actually take it in, then there's something more, and it's called following Him, trusting Him, put your, putting your faith in Him. Jesus isn't deliberately excluding people, but He is saying, if your goal is to use me or just to be interested in me because it's the hip thing to do, you're never going to really understand what the kingdom of God is about. But if you sincerely want to follow me and know me, I am going to unveil the kingdom to you. You will hear and you will listen. You will perceive and you will understand. So Jesus begins to answer their request, verse 13. Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? Now that's important. Jesus is actually saying there's something in this parable that unlocks every single other parable he tells. There's something about this parable that really gives us insight into what it means to know Jesus, to follow God, to understand what it means for us to have a thriving heart that receives his message of grace. This is a parable of parables. The seed is the message of God's grace. It's the gospel message. It's what Mark talks about in chapter 1 when he says that Jesus is the Christ, he's the Lord, he's the Messiah, he's the Savior of the world. The seed is the message. The sower is the Lord in this part of the story. Jesus is saying, I'm casting seeds wide. And the soil is your heart. Jesus says before each type of soil, some people are like this. Others are like this. Now, if you, you, you understand this parable, if you're trying to grow food, I'm not a gardener, some of you are, but if you're trying to, if you're trying to grow something, you don't think to yourself, I'm going to throw this on the driveway and I can't wait to have some really yummy like fruit. That's not going to work. It's hard ground. It won't receive the seed. Are you getting the metaphor? It won't take it in. You don't think to yourself, I have some pea gravel. You don't think, I'm going to throw my seed on the pea gravel. This is going to be great because I kind of want to soak up some of the water here anyway. No, that's not going to work. That's not the kind of ground that this seed needs. Jesus is inviting us to consider our hearts. What does that look like? Well, if you go to verse 20, Jesus says this, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, 
and it will produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what's sown. Jesus is saying, if you want to hear this, let this seed fall on the kind of soil that will thrive. And what that looks like, this will be the refrain throughout this sermon, what it looks like is to hear the word and to accept it. If you hear God's word and you accept it, a harvest will most certainly come about. If you plant a seed in fertile soil and you put water on it and you allow the sun to shine on it, it's going to produce a crop. God's message of grace will produce a harvest in you if you will hear the word and you will accept it. It's powerful to do that. It always does. That's Jesus' promise to us. Okay, so there's kind of a summary of the parable. Let's talk about some ideas, some reflections on it. First, this parable is not meant to be a riddle or to confuse your faith. That's not what Jesus is doing. He's not trying to make it difficult for you to hack into the heart of God. You know, you know riddles and little jokes, right? I'm going to tell you two to make you laugh. One is this. How do we know cars are in the New Testament? Because Jesus was a car painter. He was a carpenter, right? That's a horrible one. What about this one? What's the best way to study the Bible? You look into it. Now, we're in the Gospel of Mark, but you get the point. God God doesn't approach us like that. Not with cheesy dad jokes. Not with uh, riddles. He doesn't want us to, if we approach him, he doesn't want us to think to ourselves, okay, what's the secret answer to the question? That's not his approach. He wants to make it very clear with this metaphor what it means to be able to live in a thriving relationship with the God of heaven and earth. He gives us this metaphor because he wants you to have this imagery in your head. He knows what imagery you're going to need on this journey. If you just think about this, Jesus is telling this story to an ancient Near Eastern culture 2,000 years ago. The metaphor is just as powerful today. He's inviting us to say, okay, if the seed of the gospel is that powerful, what does it look like for me to really receive it? To hear his word and to accept it. Why do you think worship is so important? Reading the scriptures is so significant. Why celebrating the supper is so uh, central to what it means for us to have fellowship with God. God wants us to have seeds in a thriving heart that brings about a harvest. It's not meant to be confusing. To hear God's word, to accept it, is to be assured of his power. His spirit uses his word to that end. And so first, this is not meant to be a riddle. It's a parable. Jesus is telling us a story to make very clear what it means to follow him and know him. Secondly, you can actually have all types of this soil in your heart at the same time. Okay? Jesus is, you know, depending on what you're dealing with and what you're facing, you might find different responses to different things. Depends on what you're struggling with. You know, whenever I go rock climbing, um, I'll take my family or I'll take a friend. Every time I go rock climbing, I check my carabiners to make sure there's no fractures. I make sure the gear is, uh, doesn't have any sort of signs that it's going to fail. I rub the rope to make sure there's no frays in it. I check the anchors on the wall to make sure they're secure. I double check the knots up top and make sure the knots are secure. I make sure the harness is on right. I put on the right helmets. You know, I make sure looking up the wall, there's no projectiles that might fall once you climb up there and loosen a rock. And if it did, that the person holding the rope isn't going to get hit. And I would take my family, we haven't done it in a couple years, um, but when they were little, we would go to the Rockies and we would climb different, you know, places. And the first time we ever did it, I remember my kids saying to me, are you sure you know what you're doing? Right? Are you sure, are you, sure you know what you're doing here? I said, yeah, I know what I'm doing. But until they actually put their hands and their feet on the wall and say climbing, and I say climb on, and they begin to ascend, like, it's nothing more than talk until then. At that point, when they're on the wall, they're really trusting me that the way I've set this up is safe for them 
to climb. God is inviting us into this process of hearing his word, embracing it, and then beginning to live it. You know, to begin to live into the reality that God's grace is sufficient for us. It is a process. No one has arrived. Everyone's in this process of hearing God's word and accepting it. And we do it well or differently in different areas of our lives. Think about the different spaces where you live out the reality of God's grace. In your marriage, with your children, at the workplace, in your finances, the way in which you conduct yourself, all of that, the thoughts you have in your head, the words you speak, all of that is an expression of either trusting in who God is or not trusting in who God is. And we're all in this process. You know, Paul writes in Romans 7 um, about this struggle he has with sin. He says, I'm the chief of all sinners. He says, you know, I, I, the very thing I want to do, I can't do. The thing that I know I should do, that's not what I do. And then eventually he says what? He says, thanks be to God who will deliver me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Even the Apostle Paul was in the process of trusting that God is who he says he is. Even the Apostle Paul shows evidence of having different sorts of soil in his heart. He, Paul also writes in Colossians chapter 2, Since then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up, strengthened in the faith. You see that? Just as you received Jesus, continue to live in him. We're in process. To be in that process is to have a heart that is working towards a thriving soil that can receive God's word. Look at these different types of soil again. The seed on the path, the hard ground. Now, have you ever heard God's word and thought to yourself, I can't do that? Now, Jesus says it's better to forgive than to be bitter, right? That's really hard to do, especially if the offense is really great. Or it's better to give than to receive. That's really hard to believe. Or when Jesus says, don't be, don't be anxious. Don't worry about anything. You know, I've prepared things for you that you can't even imagine. We know that we want that to be true in our heads, but it's hard to live that out in our lives. That thing, that's called the process. And this first kind of soil, the seed on the path, is the kind of soil that says, nope, I reject it always and every time. That's not a place where the promises of God can thrive. The second kind of soil, the seed among the shallow rock, it has shallow roots. It can't grow because it doesn't have the nutrients it needs. You know, it's a soil that sort of begins to see fruit, but then quickly rejects it. You know, and maybe you've seen this practice in your own life. I know, for example, it's good to be gracious, but if you catch me on a really tough subject and I'm not in a good mood, I might not be very gracious. You know, that's evidence that in that moment, I'm, I sort of believe God's good until a certain point, and then I'm done believing he's good. I'm just going to act on my own ideas of what's best. It's not a soil. It's not a plant. It's not a place that's really going to thrive when times get tough or get rocky. Or the third kind of soil, the soil that's overwhelmed with thorns. It's choked out, as Jesus says, by the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things. How does that work? Think about that for a minute. Why would the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things choke out the message of God's grace in our lives? Well, it's quite simple. Everybody worships something. You all worship something. We all worship something in different places in our lives. To find out what it is you worship, ask what brings you the most stress or the most fear or the most joy. Those may be very good gifts. But Jesus says here, the things that will choke out what this message of my grace is trying to do can be 
the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things. What is that? What are the worries of life? What are the things you're worried about? Maybe it's where your kids are going to go to college. Maybe it's where you're going to spend the next 10 years. Maybe it's what your job is going to be. Life gives you plenty of things to worry about. And when we're worrying, what we're saying is, I think I can control this enough to fix it where I don't have to worry about it anymore. Because if I can, then I'll be okay. Then I'll be able to trust God. Then I'll be at peace. And Jesus is actually saying that that sort of approach to life, the worries of life, can quiet in your own heart the realities of God's grace for you. They can choke out what God is doing, the worries of life, or the desires for other things, the deceitfulness of wealth. You know, what we're doing in those moments is we're saying there's something other than who God is that can give me what only God can give me. If I could have this thing, I wouldn't be so stressed out. No, God offers you sufficient grace now to work towards not being stressed out. If I could just do this thing, then I could be nice to everyone. No, God gives you grace sufficient to work that out now. You see, essentially we're looking to other things to give us, to enable us, to be, to do, to live in such a way that only God's grace can enable us to live and do and move into. This kind of soil, is, it chokes out God's promises. You know, it's like if you're listening to music. You ever been at a concert or you're at a, you ever been to a movie and, the, and someone next to you is just so loud or obnoxious, it's hard for you to even enjoy the message? You know, it's kind of like that. You know, the other day I was sitting watching a movie with Walker and Kyle and his kids, and we were uh, checking something out, and um, one of us got on our phones, and I was like, hey, no, no phones in the movie theater, right? It's really distracting. You're actually pulling us away from what's going on. Jesus is saying, look, there's not room in this soil for multiple gods. There's not room in this soil for multiple messages. This is a message that will, is sufficient for you, but it's not a message that you can hear if there's other things that can choke it out. And then there's this fourth soil, the soil that thrives, a place where when the seed falls, it grows. What's that look like to have a heart that's working towards having a place where this seed can thrive? To hear God's word and to accept it. To hear God's word and to accept it. Now, where is your heart? The thing about dirt that needs to be fixed, whether it's got thorns in it or it's got rocks in it, if someone could come up with this invention, that would be great. But dirt can't fix itself. No matter what you do, if you just watch dirt and think it's going to fix itself, it's never going to fix itself. So what do you do if you discover these other three kinds of soils in your heart? Maybe it's a hard heart and you're bitter about something. Everybody struggles being bitter about something. Maybe God's grace can't penetrate that because you're just so bitter. Or maybe it's a heart that has shallow roots. You believe what God has to say, but just to a point in certain areas. Or maybe it's that you're trying to pursue God's will, but also 10 other agendas beyond his will. Like, what can you do with a soil that has thorns and has rocks? What can have, what's the only way that soil can be made fertile? It has to have a gardener. It has to have someone clean out the rocks, pull up the thorns, put water on the hard ground, make it a place that can be fertile. And that's the message of the gospel. That Jesus comes in and says, I have a message that's powerful enough for you to sustain you, a seed that can transform everything. And I am able to soften the hard dirt. I'm able to rake out the rocks. I'm able to get rid of the thorns and the things that might choke that out and make you a fertile place where my message can grow. And it's what we call this process of sanctification. That God's in the process of sanctifying our hearts. 
as we trust him to work in our hearts, to create a place where the seeds of his message can thrive. You know, in Mark chapter 2, Jesus talks about that it's not a, the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. That he came to call not the righteous, but sinners. And what does it look like for us to begin to move toward having a thriving heart? This is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Or Psalm 139, verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. How can our hearts become a place where there's fertile soil, where the rocks are removed, where the thorns are pulled away, where the hardness of our hearts can be made into fertile ground. How does that happen? By trusting in the Lord with all of our heart. As Jesus says here in the Gospel of Mark chapter 4, by hearing his word and accepting it. That's the journey of faith. Not if, but when you discover hardness in your heart, call out to God to soften your heart with his grace. Not if, but when you find that your heart is distracted. Call out to God to rake out the things that are distracting you. To pull up the thorns. To replace it with his spirit and his words. David says in Psalm 119, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. God's word is powerful and active and living and breathing. It's able to transform us. Jesus is saying, if you want a heart that thrives, Rest in my word. The thing that's frustrating for us about this process is that, that it's a process. Now, I wish I could tell you that this is going to happen to you overnight. I wish I could tell you there won't be a struggle as you seek to hear God's word and to accept it, but there most certainly will be. The good news is, is that God will be with you. He will travel with you. He will carry you. you know, I don't know if you've ever heard of the great bristlecone pine. Have you ever heard of this tree? It's the oldest tree trees in the world, right here in North America, in California. And they have one tree in particular that's unnamed, but it's five, they, they estimate it's 5,000 years old. There's a tree that existed before Jesus walked the face of the earth right here in North America. And this tree, it's so, it's, it's so dense and strong that it can resist beetles, it can resist drying out, it can withstand whatever environment uh, comes toward it for five thousand years. The thing about that tree, though, is it grows so slow. It grows so slow that sometimes there's not even annual rings around the tree, but it stands because it has the nutrients it needs. And our spiritual lives are like that. They're a process. Jesus rose from the dead so that we could walk every single day in the knowledge that he is at work in our hearts, creating hearts that will thrive. The gardener, the divine gardener, who tends our hearts, approaches us even this morning and says, here's the deal. If you want to grow spiritually, if you want to follow me, if you want to be part of what I'm doing, here's what I need you to do. Hear my word and accept it. I'll do the rest. I'll garden. I'll care for you. I'll provide the sun. I'll provide the water. And you will reap a harvest 30, 60, even 100 times in your life. Now, as we begin to trust in Jesus and he shapes us, you will see that take place because he is faithful to us. As we approach the table this morning, it's an opportunity for us to express that faith that God, wherever I am in the process of knowing you and trusting you, I know that you have called me to hear your word and to accept it. Help me to do that so that I might tap in to your promises and have a heart with thriving soil. Let's pray together.
Lord, this morning, as we think about this parable that you've given to us, we think about these different types of soil, um, and we consider our own hearts. Lord, we take great comfort and courage in the fact that you are the divine gardener, that you are the farmer who sows his seeds of the gospel that are powerful to transform and change us. And our prayer would be that by your spirit, you would more and more create in us thriving hearts ready to receive your promises that we might see a harvest of righteousness even in our own lives this week. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.